Welcome to this week's Safer Than Your Average. On the show this week we have Kayla. Kayla, if you just want to come in and introduce yourself. Yeah, um, I'm Kayla Bergeron. I was in the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center on September 11th, 2001. Thank you, Kayla. Now, if we just go back to your early life, Kayla, where did you grow up? Can you tell us a bit about your background? I grew up, um, I was raised in Louisiana, uh-huh. right outside of New Orleans. And uh, my dad was in the pharmaceutical industry. And so we moved from Louisiana, where I spent 14 years, to Missouri, where I went to high school and to college. And after that, I got the political bug to get involved in uh, campaigns. And we moved to New Jersey. and. Um, I worked for the governor of New Jersey, Christy Whitman, mm-hmm. and worked at the Port Authority as a chief of public and government affairs, which is where I was on September 11th. Okay. Is that enough information? Yeah, sure. Okay. So if we continue on then, can you tell us a little bit about what your job entailed um, at the Port Authority? Sure, my job was to deal with the news media and external stakeholders, whether business or community groups, um, to keep the public informed of what was happening at the Port Authority. Okay, okay. And where did you live while you were doing that? Were you in New Jersey or did you live in Manhattan? I lived in Manhattan at the time. Okay, okay. And were you close to the World Trade Center or were you a bit- I lived lived on 9th between 1st and 2nd, so I was on the other side of town. Okay, okay. Um, so can you tell us a bit about the day leading up to 9-11 um, before you, you went to work? Can you tell us a bit about your, your morning routine, what was happening? Sure. Um, on September 11, 2001, it was election day. In the, uh, it was a primary election, so went to the polling booth. Who did I see? Mayor Giuliani. And then candidate Michael Bloomberg. So I voted, went to work. It was a beautiful day. That blue is etched in my mind forever. Mm-hmm. So I go to work and uh, I'm on the 68th floor in the North Tower mm-hmm. and I'm preparing for a meeting. I'm at my desk and all of a sudden the building lunges forward about 10 feet. Mm-hmm. And then it comes back. And um, I didn't know exactly what had happened. And um, I looked outside. I had a nice view of the, of the Statue of Liberty. But all of a sudden, it looked like somebody was um, emptying out papers from above me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still hadn't put, put together what had happened. I thought perhaps a small plane had veered off path and, um, somebody from emergency management called and told me that's what they thought it was. And, um, I remember trying to reach my boss, Neil Levin, who was the executive director of the Port Authority. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to reach him and, um, texted him. And by the way, 
He's the guy who insisted that we all have blackberries, including the head of the police department, which was very new. Mm -hmm. um, was, what was a lifesaver for me and many others on September 11th, having that technology. Um, and so I wasn't able to reach him. So I called the governor of New, new Jersey offices and the governor of New York office. I said, we think a small plane is veered off the path and I'm, I'm sending staff to what was in the Marriott to set up a command center, which is what they did following the, the attack on the World Trade Center in 1993. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, t I'm texting senior staff saying, go to the Marriott. And um, my other staff, we had staggered, um, staggered times a day for reporting because we were on call 24 seven. And so I texted staff saying, um, we're probably gonna set up at the Marriott. And uh, a staffer who worked for me was in New Jersey. He was on Coast Guard duty. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, do you need me? No, I don't need you. Of course, still thinking that, um, that it's a small plane. And then, um, um, a guy from security came up and said, it's time to evacuate the building. Mm -hmm. said, no problem. Let me go turn off my computer. <laughs> so um, I turn off my computer, you know, get my briefcase and everything. And I walk, I walked the floor to make sure there was no one else left. Mm -hmm. And I had sent some people right after the, the tower had been struck. I sent people, to the Marriott. I said, we need to, to drop phone lines, pencil, paper, bring our business continuity of operations plan. And so when I entered the stairwell of the 68th floor, I'm, I'm texting them on the Blackberry saying, okay, where are you? Is everything set up? Mm -hmm. And um, there were only 10 flights of stairs below me. Mm -hmm which was a little bit concerning. Um, so we're, we're evacuating. It's very orally because after the 1993 bombing, mm -hmm. there was extensive drills done. Mm -hmm. And um, there was glow in the dark tape. Uh, and so it was very orally. As we're going down and you have emergency personnel going up with the big tanks, mm -hmm. um, we would just, um, stand to the side as they moved up and down. And uh, finally, I get to the sixth floor. And um, by this time, a friend had sent me an Associated Press story that said that with terrorist attacks. Mm -hmm. So I see somebody from the aviation department. I said, uh, I'm going to show you something, but don't react. Mm -hmm. So I showed her that about the AP story. <laughs> we looked at each other. Well, we said, let's get this line moving. <laughs> um, and so uh, we're going down and we felt it, it, it was like a, uh, an airliner or a, um, a train rumbled and um, 
we were thrown, the building had turned and twisted, mm -hmm. and we knew that the South Tower had come down. Mm -hmm. And um, and and the lights were out, the water from the, the chiller, from the air conditioner. Mm -hmm. um, so it's looking a little grave. And then um, out of nowhere, pops a Port Authority police officer that turns out to be Sergeant David Lim. Mm -hmm. Since we, since the, the, the building had twisted, it, we were blocked from going down. So when we heard his voice, he said, come up. Uh -huh. I don't know about you, but um, the last thing we wanted to do was go up in a building that was burning. Yeah. But with no other options, we went up. And because the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey had built the buildings and had managed the buildings, mm -hmm. Our security, including Port Authority police officers, knew the building inside out. And so he led us to, or through a maze. And um, he brought us to stairwell B. Mm -hmm. And um, the current from the water was flowing so fast. Mm -hmm that um, they would only let one person go at a time okay. through, through these doors in the hopes of getting down to ground level. And they asked us to take off our belts and, uh, and hold on to the person in front of us, mm -hmm. um, which we did. I had left my, I had a pair of pumps on, and, but some of the women had taken off their shoes mm -hmm. and everything is pulverized. But yeah. so there's glass everywhere. So people's feet are getting, getting um, cut up. Mm -hmm. And um, so finally, um, I think we're at ground level. Mm -hmm. I see the white, And we kind of lost the people, a few people ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And um, we're in this room. It looked like snow had fallen everywhere. Mm -hmm. And um, the people I was with were starting to panic. I said, don't scream because there's stuff coming, debris from, the, from above. Mm -hmm. I said, well, let's look for footprints. We looked for footprints, no footprints. So I said, now's the time to scream. And um, after screaming for a few minutes, they had heard us. Someone mm -hmm. with a, a bullhorn said, if you can hear my voice and then a flashlight, then follow the light. Mm -hmm. And so we did. And after we got out of the building, it, it looked it looked like bombed out Beirut mm -hmm. and um, as we're walking through all of this debris 
there's stuff falling down mm -hmm. and my shoe gets caught. Mm -hmm. So someone helps me to get my shoe back. And then we, we walk around the overhang of the building. Mm -hmm. And then we were on plaza level, but yeah. we weren't on ground level. And so there was a staircase that we found and um, walked down the staircase, which by the way is now known as the survivor staircase. Yeah. And um, we're on ground floor, take a deep breath. And all of a sudden a police officer says to run. And <laughs> After being in the stairwell for 45 minutes, also it, it took a lot out, you know, to walk that many flights of stairs. But then I turned and then I saw the building imploding. Mm -hmm. It was a black, it was a cloud of black. It was, uh, it was like a lethal weapon movie. Um, and so, I ran 16 blocks in my pump, in my suit, in my skirt. And um, when that, that cloud of, of black debris came down, I just dove under a car. And um, to see the street the other day with the, um, Was it Lebanon in the news the other day? Yeah, yeah the, the big explosion. Yes, when I I didn't um, I didn't watch a lot of that because because of the time of year, uh -huh. but yes, I saw the parallels of paper and um, debris everywhere, and what had been black coming down it now turned into white white mm -hmm. dust cloud everywhere. And um, so when I got up from under the car, there were a couple of my staffers who were there and um, we were just looking for bottles of water mm -hmm. to clean our faces so we wouldn't be inhaling that stuff. So um, at, the, at the base of the Holland Tunnel, I, um, I waved down our Port Authority police officers who uh, we ran the, managed the Lincoln Tunnel. And so I texted all my staff saying, uh, we're going to our police headquarters, which were in Jersey City, mm -hmm. just, just on the other side of New York. So um, we, we, we get to our headquarters and um, I'm asking, where is Fred Marone, the head of the police? Whereas I asked the, the, the ranking commanders, who's this, who's this? And there was silence. Um, and our chief operating officer who had, who survived the, the roof of the Marriott coming down on him. He said, we're going to be moving to other Port Authority headquarters in Jersey City that's not so close to the tunnel. Because at the time, no one knew if there would be more attacks. Yeah. And so we moved there. Got my staff there, and um, the CEO says, I need your help. Human resources people on here, we need to find out who's dead and who's alive. Mm -hmm. um, 
So what we decided to do since in my department was marketing and communications as well as government affairs, um, we set up a white, a white um, Port Authority page. And we asked the news media to help us and they were very helpful. We figured the most discreet way to say it, given the sensitivity of the time, is for Port Authority employees to need to know where to report, to call this number. Mm -hmm. That went into an Excel spreadsheet. For Port Authority family members who've not heard from their loved ones, call this number. Mm -hmm. And so I had, as other staff came in, I gave them that job. But, uh, you know, when somebody would call and report in, it became a clapping moment. Mm -hmm. You know, we still hadn't, we still hadn't really comprehended the magnitude of what had happened. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, I went into my work mode. And um, so I did that. I called both governor's offices. I said, uh, we need public information officers for the, la for the next three or four months, at mm -hmm. least, because we're going to be answering phone calls around the clock. And um, and in the early hours, I'm still waiting to see, where's my boss, Neil Levin, the executive director of the Port Authority? Mm -hmm. Where's the leadership of the police? there was silence. And I remember executive director's wife had come to me asking me for a photo of her husband, because at the time there was hope that people who were involved, maybe that maybe first responders had helped them to a local hospital. Mm -hmm. So all these headshots were all over Man Manhattan on the buses, on the trains, and I told her I didn't have a photo because the building had gone down. Mm -hmm. um, and so I next met, met with the chief lawyer for the Port Authority. Mm -hmm. What will we tell the world, especially given the jurisdictions of, say, the Federal Joint Terrorism Task Force, FEMA, so we basically came up with a narrow statement that talked about the status of the Port Authority facilities. Uh -huh. And we were, we were sure to talk about the terrorist attacks, plural, mm -hmm. because the implications, we had just, in June, had just signed a net lease with Silverstein Properties for mm -hmm. them to take over management. And so... Day one, we got the lingo down. Um, and the other thing we did was just talk about the status of Port Authority facilities, mm -hmm. which also ran Newark Airport, JF Air, JFK Airport, and, um, and Newark. Mm -hmm. um, and so all those facilities are closed. And basically, the Port Authority... <laughs> given that it's the largest transportation facility in the country, mm -hmm. 
we didn't wait for uh, for the federal government to tell us to shut down. Um, and so I remember finally getting to a phone um, about three o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. Although my REM pager worked, my cell phones didn't work. Mm -hmm. So I think when I came out of the building in the ground level and sand, you know, got my wits about me, I I'd sent my, my parents a note saying, if you get this, I'm out of the building. Mm -hmm. But so much time elapsed, they didn't know whether or not I was out of the building. Mm -hmm. So I called them. I called my nieces, which was very hard to do. Mm -hmm. They were in school and obviously they worried. Uh, it was a blessing to speak to them, to put the things that might, might have gone through their head and worry to allay their fears was important. And um, it was also my other niece's niece who lived in Boston. It was her birthday. She was three, mm -hmm. three years old. Anyway, those are sideboards. So basically for the next five or six months, um, we worked around the clock. You went from rescue to recovery to funerals, um, 72 funerals of Port Authority staff, and then 9-11 commission, then the rebuilding, should we rebuild the towers? Don't rebuild the towers. We had to develop a public consensus on that. Then we had the issue of whether or not to release the transcripts of the uh, radios um, and the repeaters in the North Tower. And we didn't want to release, we didn't want to release those tapes because some of those calls were the last the last contact individuals had with their loved ones yeah. um we ultimately had to release them but we released them to the families first mm -hmm. um so i don't even remember seeing a counselor for months um work mode work mode and you know we developed the public consensus on what should be built there it's a beautiful if you haven't been there and you go to new york you got to go see it they did a fabulous job um yeah i've been to see it here it's it's beautiful it's a beautiful memorial to all the people that lost their life that day yeah so we kind of work with them too because the staircase that i referred to 30 tons of concrete yeah. they are now in the in the memorial yeah and there's quite a famous photograph of you on the staircase as well isn't there that was used in the media for a yeah. while after 9 11. i stood in the museum um in the 9 11 memorial museum with my wife and looked at it and just thought i couldn't even begin to imagine what happened that day so i don't know how you had the strength to go into work mode and continue on and do all of the things that you had to do for all of those months after it and get through it and come out the other end. It was a distraction and 
there was comfort and strength in working with people who had been through it. There was a knowingness um, that to this day gives me strength. Mm -hmm. So after the recovery and they started to build the new building and there was quite a long period of recovery as well that they were still um, removing some of the the debris field for quite a a long time after it and Lower Manhattan became quite a large construction area that they started to remove it all and then build the memorial. What did you do after that? Did you continue on working for the Port Authority? In 2000 Six. Mm-hmm. Um, I was offered a job in Florida working for the lead agency restoring Amer- America's Everglades. Mm-hmm. And so I'm originally from the South and I, I was open to the idea of a warmer climate, no snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there 2006 to 2011. Wonderful job. I loved it. Um, but a new governor came in and he gutted the agency. So I was a casualty of that. And um, that's when I started to feel something physically wrong. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what, I didn't know what it was. Um, I wasn't a first responder. I wasn't a victim of domestic violence. So it never occurred to me that it was PTSD. Mm-hmm. But when I was laid off at the same time, my mother who was in Georgia she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Mm-hmm. So that's between the physical aspects of PTSD and my mother getting sick. I think that's when I started to numb, started to use alcohol mm-hmm. as a form of relief. Yeah. So, so I had a DUI there. And mm-hmm. after my mother died, I moved here in 2000 of 18, I got a second DUI. Mm -hmm. That's where I got the PTSD diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So I'm very grateful that a local county program for dual diagnosis saved my life. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's uh, rising from the ashes. I'm not sure why me, why not others, but um, I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah, yeah. I get that, Kira. I get that. And struggling with that and then using the alcohol to try and numb things out a little bit. Um, I've, I don't even know what to say to you at this point, Kira. It's such a hard thing to go through. And I know that you'll give hope to a lot of people out there that are struggling themselves um, by sharing that story. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your life now, Kira? What do you do now? I... I work for a place called the Connection for Sight that's in Northwest Georgia. Mm -hmm. It's a recovery community organization. So if you're having problems with drugs or alcohol, Mm -hmm. uh, if you've been released from jail and have no resources, if you're an accountability court program like I am, this organization connects you with help, whether or not you need recovery meetings, if you need a sponsor, if you need um, to help build a support network, um, if you need housing and jobs, we try to find find ways to help people. 
And so that's sort of a metaphor for my life. Have you, and that's such noble work as well. Um, and do you feel like the work that you're doing now, helping people, is a bit of a legacy from what you experienced to be able to move on from it? You're now helping others and using your life to help others in such a positive way and having such a good impact on people. I don't know if it's a legacy, um, but through the court program, mm -hmm. I found my calling again. I went into public service years ago, and um, because of the two DUIs, I thought my life was over. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't think anybody would hire me, especially someone on the front lines dealing with the news media. Mm -hmm. And so, the universe conspired um, and I couldn't have dreamed I would, I would be in this field now, but exactly what you just said, that's my passion now is to help people. And I got that from my mother and that's what I started on that career path, but uh, I kind of fell off that path and now I've, I've found my purpose. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's what, um, that's what I live for now. And since moving to Florida and then to Georgia where you are at the moment, have you ever returned to New York? Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And um, I'm not in New York, I've been to several, several I, I was there at the opening museum, but I went back for several years. But now the accountability court is part of my family. Mm -hmm. And so for the past few years, I host a, a conference call with many of my former colleagues, as well as the people I've met over the last year who saw the New York Times story. And so my family is, um, my family is growing and um, it's not a downer at all. It's just talk about, there was so much focus on the work and such a, a good, great group of people to work with. Um, that's what we talk about now because, and I worry about some people um, being left behind without any kind of support, not even realizing they have a problem, mm -hmm. but um, just reconnecting for the anniversary helps to make us whole and to remind us how far we've come. Maybe all of our journeys may not look the same, but, um, we did this. Yeah, yeah. And on the anniversary, Kira, I'll be thinking of you at your desk and going back to switch your computer off and then getting out of there. And my thoughts will be with you that day and everybody else that survived and all the victims. Thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast, Kira. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing your story. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse. 
covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide.